This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 532. And the quote of the day is, smooth seas don't make skilled sailors. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 532. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for tuning in, checking it out. And for all of you who have left rating and reviews, I do appreciate that. If you haven't already, I got one question. Will you leave a rating and review for the podcast? (laughs) All you got to do is go to iTunes, search for Drummer's Resource, and you can do that on there. It'll take you about a minute to do, and I'll appreciate it. And it lets people know, hey, you should be checking out drummer's resource. And speaking of checking out, you should be happy that you're checking out this episode. This is with Vlad Guigny. And I've been a fan of his for a long time watching what he does uh, on social media. And one of the things that stands out to me is not only his technical prowess, but but his melodic phrasing and and just the way that he approaches the instrument, which I, I tell him in this conversation. And his story is amazing. I mean, he was he was already in the Dominican Republic with a successful career, decided to move to the United States on a scholarship to Berkeley when he was 27 and had to start all over again. And we talk about that and, and we talk about dealing with challenges and, and overcoming these obstacles and also talk a little bit about social media and, and talk about what's real and what's not. And there's a lot of great information and wisdom in this conversation, and I'm happy to share it with you. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only Vlad Guigny. Vlad, my man, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Nick? I'm fantastic, man. Thank you so much for doing it's this is it's pretty remarkable how quickly we line this up too. Because sometimes it's like it could be months or you know, years it's been for some people and like you and I were like, how about boom, how, Thursday? Yep, cool, done. All right, we're 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 good to go. So I appreciate you uh you scheduling with me so quickly. I appreciate it too, man. I, I thought the same because I seen how also like with other uh, people that you interviewed before, it takes actually a long time. I've seen that. Yes. It's, it's all, de- I don't know what it is, but some days it's like, I'll email somebody and they're like, let's do it tomorrow morning. And some people are like, we, we're going to have to wait till next year. So, uh, but here we are and, and we're going to get into it, man. I, first of all, I, I got to tell you that from, before going into this conversation, I already knew who you were, but like, obviously if I'm going to sit down and talk to you, I'm going to go check out more of, of your playing, just more about you and things like that. And one of the things that sticks out to me about your playing is your freezing and just the way that you are melodically orchestrating around the kit, your sonic choices. I, I, I feel like I don't see that as much now in in players uh but you you are a a prime example of what you can do with different sonic choices and phrasing and and things like that and almost to the point where you know you're you're doing it in a way that is so that is so natural and effortless that it doesn't feel like you're trying to fit some sort of phrasing inside of this thing where it doesn't belong um so one i want to applaud you on on that but i but we're going to unpack that a little bit um 
so talk about growing up in the Dominican Republic, and do you think that the way that you play now is a result of growing up in the Dominican Republic and and hearing all sorts of different rhythms when you were growing up? Talk to me about that a little bit. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. You know, that's actually really interesting uh, because that's exactly, I think that's exactly what's on, on my mind. I try not to think a lot lately, but, you know, us as players with this modern era, with all these resources, being able to, to you know, to watch all these other great, amazing musicians online doing everything they can to, you know, show what they can do. One of the things I was like, man, but why is, like, we are not caring a lot about the melodic part of the instrument, like you just said. Because for me, to be honest, it was a natural process because, first of all, I started playing drums because of listening to people, like, uh, in my early ages, like Vinny, Weckl, back in the day, mm -hmm. I, you know, I actually remember that uh, a friend of mine played me a cassette of a master plan from the work from like 1990, something like that. I mean, not that this was in 1990, <laughs> that was around 2000, something like that. Right, right. And I immediately, immediately became like in love with that kind of thing. And, you know, I just started, it was like really unconscious. I, I did not understand anything these guys played, but I was really passionate about it. I was like, wow, man. So when I started, like everybody, you know, learning rudiments, started playing singles, playing beats, I immediately came attracted to soloing and like, practicing solos because they, you know, if you listen to a welcome recording, there's always solos. If you listen to Vinny, there's always solos. And that became like natural part of my playing but again, as I said, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I I was just listening and trying to imitate. Uh, regarding to the Dominican Republic, for sure, you know, our country is really rich in rhythms. And one of the things I see among my peers from the DR and and other great musicians from there is that the facility for rhythm and understanding is just crazy. Like. It's just amazing. I mm -hmm. I was like really fortunate to grow around great drummers, great musicians. And, you know, down there, right now there's a lot of information. But probably when I was growing up, you know, I started playing just before, I mean, maybe a couple of years before YouTube was a thing. You know, mm -hmm. there was no YouTube. We could get some some DVDs and stuff down there, but uh, but when YouTube came along, then everybody started posting stuff there, and the whole game changed. But before that, you know, I had to listen to recordings because somebody would recommend me a recording, or or I'll be able to listen to one album from a friend here and there, and that's how it started for me. Like I always. If we're going to talk about like style-wise, I I like to say that I started like listening to a lot of fusion, mm -hmm. fusion players doing solos, and and that's how it begins for me. You know, who, who were who were some of the the artists that you were listening to? 
Um, so, I, have you heard about uh, Michelle Camilo? Oh, of course. Yeah, Michelle. So, when I was, here's the, the story about how I started listening to music. I re, as far as I remember, you know, I I, rem, I was probably like four or five years old. My dad also like he he's a great he's not a musician but he listens to a lot of music all the time and he had all these recordings of you know michelle camilo chick Corea, chuck Munjohn, all those jazz greats and i will listen to that with him without knowing about musicians or anything i became aware of the names when i was older and I started listening myself to other stuff. I see his collection and I was like, oh, but he has a lot of the stuff I want to listen to right now. And I would say that because of my dad and because of his taste for music, I I was influenced by that since I was little. I wasn't playing any instruments, like seriously, a little percussion when I was a kid, but it wasn't until I was like around 15 years old, I started playing guitar and then switch to the drums, just like that. Because of that uh, uh, cassette, I told you I, I heard of Dave Wickle, I went like, I want to play drums. Right. And I, I want to play, yeah, I was like. I don't blame you. Sign me up. Yeah. Because, like, I you know, can't I can't do that stuff on guitar. I'm, I'll, you know, like I want to do that on, I want to do that on drums. Let's do it. You know, I, I used to listen to, to like uh, some rock bands mm-hmm. in, uh, in Spanish and you know, the role of the drums, you know, they, you know, they, they would play the rock beat, which was, was amazing. But when I heard a solo for the first time, I went like, oh, <laughs> so you can also do that. Right. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I started. That's that's some of the stuff I was listening back. But Especially man, my like the, the late. S- sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I cut you off. No, no. Go, go. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say in the in the late seventies, late seventies, late nineties, uh, early two thousands, like everything had it was all guitar solos, right? So like, yeah. there's you know it's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo, outro. You know? Yeah, that was it. And was, exactly. And I never thought of exactly. I never thought about it like that. That you know all the stuff that I'm hearing in popular music and at that time is all guitar driven. Uh, I, man, I wish I could recall like hearing a drum solo, you know, and remember like thinking about how it affected me or whether I had the same the same thing you did, where it was like, hey, wait a minute, wait, I didn't know you could do I could you could do drum solos too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Before you know, I, and it's it's funny you say that because remember I started playing guitar, and right. <laughs> guess what? I wanted to play like uh, Santana back then. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I I hear his solos, and I was like, wow. I want to, you know, learn how to play these solos. But man, I saw when you know when I when I go back again and listen to this uh, cassette, I went like, oh, oh, okay, sign me up. And then my friend, uh, a friend of mine from from my hometown, he he was the one who I always credit for giving me the basics of both guitar and drums. His name is Franklin, uh, and he. He said, like, okay, I can switch you to drums, but if you're going to go to drums, you have to drop the guitar. You can't not, you, you cannot be studying two instruments at the same time. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, deal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, actually it's, it's funny. I understood his, his position and, and, but 
learning what I learned about guitar helped me so much on drums later on. It helps me so much these days composing and teaching and doing all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yep. the interesting thing about the Carlos Santana thing, you wanted to be a guitar player. You were really into Carlos Santana and arguably one of the most famous Carlos Santana performances is him playing it at uh, Woodstock and playing Soul Sacrifice. And Michael Shreve does that amazing drum solo. Wow, that's funny. Yeah, that's I like, I have I'm like to putting all these things together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because you know, you know, when I, but the funny thing is like, uh, my dad used to listen to a lot of Santana, and he had a lot of recordings. But I, myself, become like hip to Santana when he released uh, Supernatural in 2000. Remember that that yeah, record that he mixed, he played with everybody. Dude, that's that... when I became aware of him. That yeah. uh, that song "Smooth" that he did with Rob Thomas. Oh man, Rob Thomas and uh, Rodney Holmes on drums. Yeah, man. And dude, that that uh, that song is the second most successful song of all time. Number one is "Twist" by Chubby Checker, and number two is that song "Smooth" by Rob Thomas. I and didn't know that Carlos "Smooth" Santana. was at, at that level. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the second that, most successful. But I remember. The, the the video, the yeah. video, the, the video clip, man, that was everywhere, and and I will watch it over and over on MTV. Yeah, <laughs> when that existed. Yeah, people were probably listening. Yes. Like, what is what's uh what's MTV? <laughs> so when I'm yeah, trying to think about it, when did that when did that come out? Ninety nine. Yeah, it, it was between ninety nine to top two thousand between you know those two. I think. Yeah, it was 99 or 2000. One of those for sure. So how old were you at the time? I was uh, 99. I was 14. Okay. Yeah. And so then, and was then Carlos Santana not I, in the Dominican Republic or was it just like – because he had sort of like – he, you know, Carlos Santana had kind of like – I don't want to say he disappeared because that's a that's a – a bad way to say it because he's Carlos Santana. He doesn't go anywhere. Um, But he had been sort of out of the spotlight for a while. So probably when he was in the spotlight was probably five or six years prior to that. And you were a lot younger then. Um, Yeah. It's just interesting that was he not there before that? uh, You know, I don't, I don't recall. I don't remember if it was, but I am what I can tell you is like before that uh, recording, at least my generation was not aware of him hmm. because my, I mean, my dad was, but I'm talking, my dad, you know, was listening to seventies music, eighties music, you know, it's different. Right. But, 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 uh, but my generation, because you know, I'm from, I'm 1985. Mm-hmm. Right. So, the music I can recall mostly is like the nineties, uh, like growing up, you know, that I can remember. And, and then I'm pretty sure this Santana thing, uh, at least for me, uh, was around 2000. Got around you. 2000. Yeah. So how, talk to me about when you start playing drums and I'm get. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing that you picked up the drums and they probably made, just felt right to you versus versus the guitar that's how i was anyway uh so i was like oh this is 
I don't want to say it was easier, but it just made more sense to me. Was that was that how it was for you when you first started? Exactly. I, you know, I started music, like I said, with the guitar, and then I switched to the drums. And almost immediately, I went like, this is it. This is it. And this is funny part, Nick. You know, as as a teenager, when when I before that, I'm growing up, you know, I like a little bit of sports and I used to play different sports and I was trying always to sort of, you know, let's say I'm playing basketball, I'm trying to be one of the good guys who get picked to play on the team and to start on the first uh, quintet that starts playing, but I, I was always on the bench, <laughs> always kept on the bench in every sport, you know, and I was just trying to do something that I could be like good at. Mm-hmm. See that that was like the, the first thing, and it's funny because music came came naturally to me. I started playing the guitar, like I said. Then I moved to drums, and then everything was like so natural. And then you know my peers and my friends started to sort of like noticing me because I played an instrument, and I was like, I guess this is it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess this is what I'm I good got at. My thing. I guess. Yeah, I got my thing. Exactly. And then, you know, it's funny because these days I talk to friends from back then and they say like, man, I I never picture you as a musician. And now I look at you. Like, you, that's, that's all you do. And you're like everywhere. And, you know, they think, because that's, I don't know if you, if you have that kind of experience, but probably uh, some of your peers from where you grow up, uh, grew up before, you know, they see you with with everything you do on the podcast, and they say, "Wow, Nick, you're so famous, man!" Oh yeah, I, I get that. I get that all the time. And I'm like, you and realize? I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm not yeah. famous, first of all. <laughs> Let's. Yeah, I, I, that thing. It's from your hometown. That always. And you know, when I get to visit home, people go with that. Like, oh man, I only see you on the internet, man. You're you're the man, and I'm like, <laughs> listen. I was trying to survive, so take it easy with me. But yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting. That's sort of, yeah. I think that's an, an an interesting and important distinction to make too. That uh, you know, someone may look at someone from the outside may look at what I do or what you do and think one. I mean, maybe nobody thinks this about me, but I, I don't know. But like you know, one, I could never do that because of X, Y, and Z, or, you know, that person's had different opportunities than I did or can play better than I can or, or whatever it is. And, and sometimes I'm worried about, I get worried about the social media side of things where it's not inspiring people, but it's actually deterring people from chasing their dreams because they may look at a video of you and say, and you're th- and I know you know the type of person you are just from the the content that you put out in the conversation that we're having now that you want to uplift people but what happens when the stuff that you're putting out people watch it and they say oh, I'm never going to be that good I'll never be able to do that I'll never have as many followers as he has I'll never be able to get gigs like that and I think about that a lot does that ever does that ever cross your mind or 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 do you have advice for people who are maybe seeing things from the outside and not maybe not on the quote unquote inner circle of things. Well, you know, it's, it's great. You bring that up because, um, first of all, you know, you put content all the time to, and 
social media is it's great, it's amazing, but at the same time, it's a battle inside because the biggest problem I find in all of this we do is you know the numbers because the numbers my you know if how many likes I have or, or how many views or followers or whatever like you know is that what validates who I am my plane or whatever and you know I get people sometimes that they they feel like discouraged or but most of the time let me tell you this, and this is why I, you know, I've, sometimes I, I, I wanted to just like, man, I'm frustrated. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that anymore because, you know, I'm letting my thoughts to take control over me like, oh, this video got many views or not, or, or I got many likes or I got these followers so some people don't follow me, whatever. A anything, you know, that happens a lot to us. Mm -hmm. And, but when sometimes, and again, this is gold for me, but sometimes a kid from, I don't know, Australia or Malaysia or, I don't know, uh, Indonesia, they send me a text and they say, man, I was down, I was about to quit, and you posted something about inspiration and you said keep going, and that made me go and practice. Mm -hmm. Man, that does it for me. I don't me care anymore. I used to care a lot. I'm being completely uh, blank and honest with you guys and whoever is listening. It's a battle, and, and you are not alone in this. I, I just want to tell you that one of the things I've learned here when I came to Berkeley and, 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 and learned with, with all these great musicians is that there, there are not two people like you. You are unique and Whatever you have to bring to the table is your thing, is your expression. So you shouldn't be worried about comparing yourself with mm -hmm. somebody else. You know, what you can do instead, and this is something I did, and so far it's helping me so much in the past, I don't know, seven years or so, is to look at somebody like you posting something or playing something in front of me, and I have two options. I get frustrated or I get inspired. So I choose to be inspired. Mm -hmm. I have to tell like everybody that, yeah, you might have the thought of feeling frustrated, but it's up to you to really decide where you want to take it. You yeah. know, and, and man, if you feel discouraged, talk to someone because even myself, you, you won't believe this, but, Sometimes, like, I post whatever, and somebody like Larna Lewis comes and say, hey, man, it's great, keep going. And I'm like, whoa. Right. You know, because those are guys you look up to. Yep. And that really makes you feel like you must be doing something okay. And then at the same time, I translate that to other kids that are upcoming that might see us posting something, and they feel discouraged or they look up to us. And we try to inspire them as much as we can. But man, social media, I, I, I get it. I get it. I, I'm in fact glad that I heard, like I think about this week, the U.S. will start like hiding the likes from Instagram. Yeah, I saw <laughs> that. That's good. That's I, I, yeah, man, I, I feel like, I feel like uh, everything has a little bit of an extreme and sometimes it feels 
like like we're competing against each other instead of you know creating this this great community that we have as uh, as drummers and, and that's the thing I, I always say man i think that the drumming community is the most solid one from all the musicians there's I, no other community like the drumming community it's it's, it's you know I believe that. I think we are extremely, extremely uh, big mm -hmm. around the world. Yep. Yeah. There's there's a couple of things that you'd mentioned that I want to touch on. One, um, the, the fact that they are hiding the likes on there. The funny thing about that is that you know, everyone is everyone is sort of in this competition, but we all know that it's fake. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, but we can't see through our own stuff which is kind of which is really interesting but the, but what you said about larnell lewis about you know he, he'll stop by on your page and hey man great work keep it up you know keep going whatever it is isn't it funny how the people who are so successful and are and are so admired are the people who are saying stuff like that and it's always the people who aren't successful who don't have anything going on who aren't that great of a player they're the ones that are coming by on your page and saying this guy sucks I could play it better. Eh, I didn't really like it. It was boring. This and that. It's always the people below you. It's never the people above you. That's an interesting yeah. thing that people need to remember too. Like if someone is a keyboard bully and is talking about your playing or this or that, they're below you. They're not above you. You know, no one above yeah, and, and, you is gonna and, and accomplished is is gonna get on your page and tell you that you suck. It's just not gonna happen. Well, you know, I see two things on on that topic. One thing. There's always the kind of people, and this is what I say, okay, you don't have to love everything we do. That's, you know, I didn't like it. I, there, there are plenty of things I see on the internet that I don't like, but you know, first of all, if I don't have anything positive to say to encourage somebody, I don't say anything. Mm -hmm. That's it. I don't say anything, but I feel like People feel sometimes entitled, entitled from their computer or their phones to just like trash on you. And I, I agree. You can say you don't like something, but I don't think, and, and I know you, you've seen that so much. People to express they don't like something, sometimes they end up disrespecting you in the way they talk to you without even knowing you, Yep. which I feel it's, it's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, that's that's one thing, and and the other thing is, you said something really key. At least ninety nine point nine percent of the drummers I look up to, and I've been like really grateful to, and really fortunate to to meet them. Those guys are cool, and yeah. they're not thinking about any of these. They're focusing on you know just keep going, you know, working in the music and inspire other, other people. Like, man, for example, Aaron Spears, like that's my dude. That guy. He's like the nicest you know, dude on the planet too. Yeah. And the planet. And, and that's, and that's real. Like even I, it's funny because even Thomas Pridgen on his interview, uh, on the, on, on the series they played, he was saying that like, Aaron is the the nicest guy. And nobody can be as nice as his. I want to be as nice as his. And I know I'm not going to be as nice as his. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's it's true, man. Like, every time I run into Aaron, he makes me smile. Mm -hmm. 
And this guy could be like, you know, I'm Aaron Spears and I've done. But the truth is, like, none of those guys are like that, man. I think that, and, I think that most people think that all that people are people who are successful are cool, and I think that people are are who are cool end up being successful. That's what I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your, no. your attitude gets you there. I mean, obviously you have to be a great player and all that kind of stuff, but like I've said it a thousand times, like if you're a jerk, no one's going to work with you. Period. Oh man, you when I when I just moved to the states, I remember attending to a clinic at Berkeley with uh, Antonio Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, he was saying, "Man, think about this. When you the gig is usually from an hour and a half to maybe two hours the show. Then the rest of the day, you're in the bus, the sound check, the plane, the hotel, just dealing with personalities. So sometimes a band leader prefers to hire someone who maybe play a little bit less than you, but he's the nicest dude. Mm-hmm. And they can hang out with them. Like imagine dealing with a jerk at 4 a.m. at a, like a hotel lobby call. Oh, I've done that before, and they got fired really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. you know, I I always see, especially after I came to the States, because there's so, so many musicians everywhere. I can't imagine my surrounding around Boston and, and Berkeley. And then finally, like, okay, if everybody's so killing, then how are, you know, how are we going to get hired? <laughs> right. And then everybody in any talk I go, any clinic, everybody talks about attitude. That thing can get you everywhere. I even remember, and you know, I can't disclose names on this, but a great player friend of mine a long time ago told me, you know, that they were doing this gig. It was a bunch of like musician stars, and they were all hired by this uh, piano player who wasn't that great as a player. But he was the nicest dude. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted to play with him because he's nice. And yep. even like sometimes they say like, you know, sometimes we're playing and he does these things here and there. And I don't like that thing that much. But he's so nice that we want to work with him. Look at that. That's powerful. Powerful because, see, I'm, I'm even talking about maybe something that musically is not that great. And they still want to play with him because he is a nice person. Mm-hmm. So that taught me a big lesson. And I actually, I actually went to that show. That's why I'm telling you this. I went to that show and I saw everything. And my friend told me, "Yeah, like the thing is, he's super nice. Yeah. And we want to work with him." And I was like, "Wow." And just so, See? just so everyone's clear too, we're not saying that this is an excuse to not have to play very well as long as you're really cool. It's just saying you need to play well and you need to be cool. Yeah, it's it's equally important to be cool. Agreed. So talk to me about when you moved, you moved here from the, from the Dominican Republic to the States and you were what, like 27 when you moved, 26? And you had already had, I, what's that? Yeah, I, uh, I came to Berkeley when I was 28. So I, I I just turned 28. It wasn't the coldest, uh, 
year of my life because <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen snow before. No, I actually came. I, I came in January 13 uh, to Berkeley, and um, I, you know, before I came, like I said, I, I was already playing back home. I was doing well, playing with different artists, teaching. I used to play in a TV show. Also, everything was cool down there. And then what happened was that there was an audition for the Michelle Camillo Scholarship at Berkeley. And they do it in the Dominican Republic for a Dominican student. So I, I remember um, getting the invitation to the press conference and, and at the TV show I used to work. And I was like, oh, nice. There's a Berkeley scholarship thing happening. But I said, like, that's pretty cool. And everybody was like, hey, man, do you want to? I think you should audition. And I was like, no, man, I, I think I'm doing fine here. I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And, you know, already at like 27, I felt like, man, going to college again and, you know, leaving everything behind. I, I don't think this is for me. Right. This is me talking seven years Eight years ago. This is crazy. Then every gig I had around town uh, during those days, people always talked about that audition. And I was like, please, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going. I, you know, I am not going. Man, and one day I'm in my um, home studio at home, and a friend of mine calls me and says, hey, man, what are you up to? I'm just here chilling in the studio. What are you up to? And he says, like, you know, I'm just learning this thing for the audition. Are you going to do it, right? And I was like, man, please, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I was like, what are you talking about? Man, he got, like, really angry at me. You kept talking about Berkeley your whole life. How How is your dream to go to Berkeley and, and to just try to make your career as a musician and be an international, blah, 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 blah. And now that you got the opportunity, you're going to let it go just like that? He just said yeah. those words. Man, and I was like, uh, be right back. I, I'll call <laughs> you back. So I went quickly to my studio and recorded the – there was a prerequisite. You had to record some, some demos and send it back to Boston where they will listen to it and then pre-select a group of people for audition. Right. So I think it was like about 100 applications, and then they selected like 31 people to audition. From those 31, eight people got um, scholarships, including including myself. But the, the, the greatest story about this, and I always like to share this, is... I went and did my audition, you know, and when everything happened, I was like, oh, so this was the audition. I thought it was going to be, like, harder. Mm -hmm. I found it, like, kind of easy. But <laughs> the truth is that it was not easy, but I was prepared. Right. Because I studied and practiced hard all the time. You know, when I, when I remember getting my first uh, serious gig in my country, I had five days to learn 14 songs in one rehearsal, Jeez. man. And I just, I went to my practice room and I started practicing so hard. And after that, I started getting higher because I would do my work. I would do my homework. But to me it was natural because before I played, 
in the streets and, and gigs and bars, I was all the time in my, in my practice room excited about learning new things. Mm-hmm. So when the Berkeley thing comes, the thing is I was ready. It's not, I, I didn't need to prepare for an audition. You know, mm-hmm. I went there, did what I had to do, and they gave me that scholarship. And then, you know, I, I had to sell everything, come here, uh, struggle financially big time the first year because it was not a full scholarship. And my government helped me with a little bit of money. And I was able to do the first semester that I couldn't do the second semester because I didn't have money. Kept reaching out <clears throat> to people, to entities and whatever. Then I was able to come back uh, for a second semester where it was supposed to be my third. You know what I mean? <clears throat> right. Then when I get to the third that was supposed to be the fourth, I was in the same situation, no money. But I was able to, you know, like get a lot of letters and stuff because I when I got to Berkeley I started like working hard, working hard, playing with everybody, trying to meet the people with power. I, you know, I was like just chasing everyone, like hustling. And then from from my second year, uh, I'm talking about from 2014 until I finished Berkeley, I didn't pay a dime because they helped me. Real from uh, yes, I, Berkeley did or yeah, Berkeley did, Berkeley did. They raised my scholarship, and uh, opportunities came like along. And then I, I was able to do a master's degree also, uh, and that one was really hard to get in because they select only twenty people from all over the world, and they give you like full tuition. That's the the global jazz masters program, and then I did a, a post masters also. Everything at Berkeley, I did everything. <laughs> I ended nuts. up studying seven seven years, but. Trust me, when I finished, I was like, n- n- not anymore. <laughs> and people were like, hey, but how about a doctorate? I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I, I always see like most of the doctors end up doing so much research and, and they can't play that much anymore. Yeah. And I like to play. Yeah. <laughs> I, like to, I like to play. So how – how did you make the decision because you were already you were you already had a successful career in the Dominican Republic it wasn't like you were 18 and you were like oh i'm just going to go to college and because then you come to the states and then you have to start over basically right yep that's right uh well how you was know, your english too uh my english was okay uh now it's a lot better <laughs> mm-hmm. because i you know i was in the states before Ten years before that, no, ten years before that. Let me see now. Not that much. Uh, well, we we're in 2019. No, Twelve years ago, I was in the states for a short four-month uh, tour with a Christian band that was combined of uh, musicians from the DR and musicians from from here from the states. And in that experience, helped me to practice a lot of my English. My English. Uh, it's funny because I did not study English formally in school, like for long periods of time. I, I, you know, I had a couple courses here and there, but what really forced me to learn was uh, music. Actually, like you know, all the DVDs, clinics, everything was in English. The books were in English, and I just started learning through the language of music, the terms of music, the terms of drumming. And that kind of, yeah, 
it's it's fun but that that was and i was into it all the time uh, then i i was like okay i'm gonna watch movies in english i'm gonna use subtitles in english everything in english i'm gonna have my computer and my cell phone in english all of that mm-hmm. and i just forced myself and then when i came here you know they they placed they placed me in a class that was right before the the, the college english because they found like uh, yeah you have a good level but maybe you need to fix this and that but what really helped me was my first year my roommates uh in my apartment in boston i will sit you know just to listen and try to talk with them and and i told them like hey if you hear me saying something wrong please correct me i i really want to learn you know and they were like nice dudes with me all of them like great amazing musicians and people and uh that's how i my, my english came along and i don't think it's really good but i, think I try it's great. i try i try i think I try. it's great well thank you thank you <laughs> But I was yeah. just thinking that's another barrier to get over, right? Okay, you already had a career. You're you're starting over in the states. You don't speak the language as well as you would like to at the time. Uh, so that's yeah. barrier number two. Barrier number three is okay. You don't speak the language. You don't have a career here, so you're not going to have any money. And how yeah. how are you going to work because because you're in school most of the time? So how yeah. how did you overcome? those odds because i'm sure you considered all of these these hurdles that you had to jump over and so how did you how did you get over some of those and what was the mindset that that you had to have to get through that well to be honest when when i first came you know i just wanted to be able to get here first you know and see what happens and uh, of course it was a big gamble to just leave everything behind you know how it is when you disappear from from a music scene mm-hmm. for years and then you try to come back a lot of people can't forget who you are but um i always thought about my my biggest dream you know which is to still to really make a name for myself in the music industry play as much as i can be like my heroes you know and I was always driven by the passion. My dad um, and I, we, you know, we have different different ways of, of thinking. Like he's a person who is who needs security. You know, somebody who needs to to have a paycheck, and he and he thinks like, you know, this is how I'm gonna do it. And then he he usually uh, he used to tell me like, hey. So how, how are you going to do it? Because, you know, we, we don't have a lot of money. What can you do to stay there? And I was like, you know, I'm going to be fine. I, I'm just going to do it. So I come here with, you know, a little bit of money because I sold everything I had. Right. I was supposed to to at least uh, be able to use that money for six months while I get myself a job in school, at least to, you know, help me with the, the food and everything and the rent. And then, but <laughs> surprisingly, I don't know anything about Boston and my money lasted like three months. Right. <laughs> it was, it, yeah. Like I, I didn't know what is to be like in a big city. Yeah. And Boston's and, not a know, cheap town. No, not sir. Yeah. And, and the first mistake I made was 
going to the uh, Berkeley bookstore and buying all these books bef before I knew that you can rent books, you can, you know, save yeah. a couple of bucks here and there. Man, when I saw that first bill of $150 and like a couple of little things, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. That's like the biggest, that's like the, the biggest scam in the world is like the college book scam. Yeah. 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 It hit me. It hit me. And, and <clears throat> so I did the semester. And like I said, I didn't have money for the second. I tried to find, I went to Berkeley. They say they couldn't help me. It was nuts and crazy. And I didn't know what I was going to do. To be completely honest, and this is good that we're doing a podcast so people can know. Uh, <clears throat> I was about to quit and say, I'm going back because I don't have money. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I was having a conversation on the phone with my dad one day telling him that, you know, I, I think it's not going to work for me, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, you know, I, I have to respect you because you always take a lot of chances. You don't care. You just go for it. I'm a person who needs security, but you are always someone who takes risk. You were able to get there. So I'm pretty sure that if you were able to get there, you're able to stay. Mm. And that like hit me again. I was like, wow, okay. Then let me find options. Then, you know, I started <clears throat> finding ways and, and I found that I could, uh, in the meantime, as I collect more money to come back to school, I could like, uh, just transfer to, uh, like a community college, something like that and do some cheap credits uh, you know, for a couple of bucks while I make my plan to just come back to school next year. Mm -hmm. And that's how I did it. And, you know, then I started getting work from the school because the thing is, like, if I wasn't at Berkeley, I couldn't work because I'm an international student. So I had to, to work at Berkeley. But for me to be able to work at Berkeley, I had to be enrolled. There's so many rules for international students in this yeah, country. Yeah, and yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, don't get me started. It's crazy. But, uh, uh, man, I just, I just kept myself looking at the bigger picture and the bigger, the bigger goal. It was not easy. It's still not easy. I'm, I'm no way, like near where I want to be. But when I look back from when I started to now, oh man, I've been really blessed and I've yeah. been able to do so much like, you know, we, we, we can do like 10 podcasts about my <laughs> last seven years. I, I'm honest. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot. So what's the message for someone who's in the thick of it now and they're struggling and they're thinking about giving up and they don't think they can tomorrow morning, like get up and keep doing what they're doing you know one thing of course uh, and it must it might sound like a cliche it's you know one day at a time keep going never give up i one of the things i always say is that i've never read a story at least me maybe there are people out there or maybe you read but most of the great and successful people I know that I follow and that I want to be like, they all 
struggle at some point. Mm -hmm. Because I feel, I don't know if that's the way that life is supposed to be, but it's like you have to pay a price to prove yourself. You have to put in the time, put in the work, and really learn all the sides of what you want to do. In our case, we're passionate about music, right? So, okay, I, I know I have to get my stuff together and play my instrument great. Then, okay, I need to learn about uh, how to play with people, how to, you know, how to do business in the music, how to uh, connect, how to have a good personality, all these kind of elements that we've been talking about. But you really have to, I mean, there's, there's no, I don't think there's a perfect way to, to describe how to keep going other than don't give, don't give up. And if somebody's out there, like you said, you just reach out. You know, I'm sure that Nick will reply. I will reply. And any mm -hmm. other drummer that is really passionate about this will reply and tell you uh, the story. I have to, to be honest also, you know, and I think that even people that is at the level we want to be, they continue to do this. You have to keep yourself inspired. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel like you have to just, just do it. Like I personally, one of the things I do is what we're doing right now. We're talking about, we're talking in a podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts for inspiration. Mm -hmm. I always try to influence myself with positive thinking, positive people, people that strive I try also to go outside of the music in other types of art and other types of disciplines and find inspiration. You know, when I when I read about somebody like Michael Jordan, for example, who, you know, they say like back in the day when he was a kid, he wasn't even fit to play. I know. He got cut and from he, his he got cut from his college or from his high school team. Yeah. Yeah. And and think and think, think about that for a second. I think he got yeah. cut. I think he got cut his first year of college too. Yeah. So so think think about that, mm -hmm. and then we talk about Michael Jordan. Like, I just feel Nick that those those situations that are really hard. I feel like they are they are an opportunity for you to grow, and this is how I see it. When I came to Berkeley. First day, I walk into the practice room, and I see all these killing drummers. Especially, I remember back then, especially when I saw the gospel cats, I went nuts. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then I was like, you have Are they options. on fast forward? How, why are they, how are they moving yeah, so fast? Yeah, yeah, I was, you got two options. You, you get to study and inspire yourself, or you quit. Right. <laughs> but I learned something quickly here. Uh, looking at the variety of people is that everybody's got their own thing going on. Like I said earlier, mm -hmm. you know, for example, get tons of guys like, Hey man, do a little clip of gospel chops. And I'm like, man, that's not my thing. And when I say it's not my thing, it's not demeaning. It's just like, those guys are so great at that. And right. I think like my thing is this other thing here. So this is what I do. And that's what they do. And it's funny because at Berkeley, we all like kind of share stuff with each other. You know, I, I will 
throw them some some Latin stuff. They will throw me some jazz stuff, and we will like exchange, mm-hmm. and, which is you know great. But again, it's like everybody's interest might be a little different. But in 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 other words, man, when I saw all those guys, I was like, okay, you inspire yourself with these guys, or you just go back home. And I decided to take it as an inspiration, you know. Smart. Adversity is inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. Hey, are you tired of coded drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coded drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV-like curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evans' proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator going back a little bit about what you were saying about someone who's struggling and and you say okay not you know not give up and the first thing that i always hear when someone is talking about this is Oh, it's easy for you to say, Vlad, because you've had all the success. You got this or whatever, right? <laughs> or like, or, you know, they'll say it about, they'll say it about me. And it's like, oh, easy for you to say you got like this successful podcast and all stuff. I'm like, first of all, like we, Vlad, we just heard your story. Like this shit was not easy for you by, by any stretch of the imagination. And like when I started Drummer's Resource, like I was, I was in it all in 100%. Like I didn't. I wasn't like working another gig or I was like, here we go. And it didn't make money for almost two years. You know what I mean? That's hard. That's hard. And I'm not saying that because I want some trophy. I'm saying that like, I didn't like you struggled for a long time. I struggled for a long time. It's not like we're saying, yeah, yeah, I struggled for a couple of weeks. It was rough, but I got through it. It's like, no, no, no. We're talking months, years. Yeah. You know, you gotta, well, and you grow out of that. You're right. A lot, Nick. I have to tell you, every and 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 this is for the listeners too. Like every single thing that any other drummer can see on me and say, "Wow, this guy is doing well. He got this. He got that. He's working this. He's working that." Man, I can tell you everything. I've had to earn it. Mm-hmm. 
like I I had to, you know, and I continue every day to I have to to prove myself sometimes in situations because sometimes people just don't know uh, what you're doing or what are you up to. And that's another thing. Like if you're trying to do this in a serious way, the way you present what you do is important. Like people can tell if you really care. Like you just said, you said that you didn't make money in the podcast for about two years. Mm-hmm. But if you don't structure your podcast in a professional way, if you don't take your podcast and make it look as good as you can, it, mm-hmm. it will never probably stand out. You know, right? That's that's one of that's one of the things. And yes, I can talk about like somebody can say like, yeah, you can say it now because blah blah blah. But man. I've struggled most of my life and I still struggle. It's, you know, and and there is a point where you see the struggle as something normal in your life and you just keep going and you just keep driving, you keep uh, grinding, you keep uh, working so hard. And one of the things I, I also, like I've seen this in your podcast before in quote, quotes that sometimes you post on Instagram, like, man, sometimes... It's not even what's happening around you. It's just like the thoughts. Yeah. You know, how you, you know, your mindset, how do you decide, how do you look yourself? How do you think about yourself? You know, I'm not by any means saying like you should think like you are like the greatest, whatever. No, but, you know, it's, it's fair to say and it's, and it's healthy to, understand and recognize what you can do and what you can't as well mm-hmm. and just keep working hard you know it's not easy for for anybody <laughs> it's not easy because this thing with this this thing we do we have to be okay uh business minded people but the first thing that always uh <clears throat> put us in the music uh, path it's the passion, and we hope that we can stay like that, mm-hmm. you know, For and sure. and never look at this as work. Because the day I look at uh, at this as work, work per, per se, uh, I, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way I see it. What? Uh, and I have my own thoughts on this, but I'd love to hear yours. What is your? I, I'm fascinated about. I always call it the zero to one, but like, how do you take an idea and how do you turn it into something, or like? If there's someone who's listening and let's look at like all the metrics, right? Just so, because we don't want to sort of alienate anyone. So if you're, if you're someone who's listening and you're like, I have 37 followers on social media, I don't play any gigs. No one's paying attention to me. You know, like no one's responding to my emails. What, what is, what is step one? Do you think, how do people like tomorrow morning when they get up, what do they start doing? How do they start putting one foot in front of the other to start to build the momentum to build a career or build something, whatever it is that they're trying to build in music? Uh, well, I would say first thing uh, maybe is to be like really clear about what you want. Like, okay, what's your goal? Let's say, but let's let's use examples. You said followers first. Oh, I, I wanna, you know, I wanna reach out and I wanna be able to stand out when I, with whatever I do. First, you have to be consistent. 
and you can't if man if you look at the numbers you're going you're going to quit because you can see it right now that <clears throat> uh, if posting videos on Instagram was cool now everybody wants to do it mm. and it's getting extremely crowded and then how do I stand out in 2019 what do I do you know you get up and like you say how do you take an idea and, and make it work you know for me in in my and, and i can just talk about my own uh experience for example the content i do uh the content in the studio when people see me in my studio playing most of the time i come here turn on my camera turn on my audio and i just start playing you know and then I, I try to most of the time not come with a specific agenda, play, and then just take some of those clips and post it. But you have to be consistent. You have to be disciplined. You have to set time apart to do these things. Because, for example, I can't, most of the time, I cannot be, like, editing a video every day. Right. You know, sometimes I have to edit several clips <clears throat> and start posting it. But, and... and <clears throat> Some friends of mine, sometimes they ask me, like, hey, man, how do you stay, like, doing all of that? Are you free at home? I'm like, no, I'm not. But you have to be really organized. Uh, one of the things I learned, and I learned this at Berkeley close to my graduation, I had an advisor who taught me that you really, you need to, to take notes. You need to create yourself a calendar. You need to be organized if you want to make something happen. Most of the times I have a note where I write a list of to-do things. Mm -hmm. like I have to do this, I have to do that. And I, I, I'm usually specific. I go like, okay, what's immediate? What's midterm and what's long-term? But you have to take notes of everything. If an idea comes to your mind, write it down. That's something else you have to do. Man, if you see, my computer sometimes looks like... <laughs> like a hurricane because I have <laughs> notes everywhere and yep. ideas that sometimes we talk about something and not, now we're talking here and, and you give me an idea and then I go like, yes, I'm going to do this. Sometimes a year goes by mm -hmm. before I touch that, but I already wrote it there. So summarizing, write down, be organized. Hey, wake up early. That's really important. Sorry, I didn't say that before. Mm -hmm. If you're in your bed late and you, ah, oh, yeah, man, it's 10, it's, mira, when you wake up between, this is me, when i able to wake up 6, 7, you know, that's me, by the time everybody's going to work, man, I sent all the emails I needed to send, mm -hmm. I contacted all the people I needed to contact, I checked my bank accounts, I checked my finances, I read the news, and I'm ready to do whatever I have to do, <laughs> you know. But you you really have to take it serious if you if you want to do anything, in life. especially in this thing that there's not a specific structure that tells you, okay, if you do this, you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. But but at least if you stay there, something might happen. Yeah, you know, it's not going to get in the way of you being successful. That's for sure. Yes, I, I just I'm just pretty sure, Nick, that if you stay home. And you don't do anything, nothing is going to happen. That's yep. what I'm sure. Sitting on the couch is not going to, and, and it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it for you. And piggybacking and turn on off what the you phone. said. Oh, 
Yeah, to, turn you. off the phone when you need to practice. Yeah. I, I, I'm guilty. I am guilty. I, you know, sometimes I need to get something done and I'm like scrolling on Instagram like, yo, get off. Yep. Or like <laughs> taking pictures of yourself being in the studio and you're like, I'm practicing. It's like, no, you're not. You're taking pictures and putting no, it on not. Instagram. You're taking pictures. I used to do exactly. I, I'm, so I, I don't want to even say that. used to. I'm guilty of it too, where I'm like, I'm getting work done or I'm practicing or I'm doing, it's like, no, you're not. You're on social media. <laughs> yes. Oh man. It's it. Well, the, I think the best thing we can do right now is try to find ways to always use all these tools to our uh, advantage. Mm-hmm. Cause man, sometimes I do, I'm guilty of Netflix marathons too. Sometimes man. Yeah. those are not good. No, <laughs> those are not good for you. I'm telling you. Luckily, I don't. Wa- I don't watch television, but uh, I don't. Good man. Yeah. Good. Stay. Stay there because I. I stopped watching television, but then Netflix came along, <laughs> and that's a problem. It is. Right. It is because since we have this streaming now, where you can watch multiple chapters, you don't. You know, you don't have to wait until next week. Right. Right. You know, I will say what I like because I'm not touring like I was. So what I was like when I was on the road all the time, I would that's all you know. I'd watch TV on the bus all the time. So I'm not saying I'm immune to television for sure. If I was if I was touring a lot, I would. That's all I'd be doing was watching TV for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. Maybe not. That's all I, was I, doing. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, there was two things that that you had mentioned about about you know getting up early and developing all these habits and and two things that stuck out to me. One, I remember a interview that I had with Michael Carvin, and I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Carvin or not, but yep, that uh, was that that was uh, Ralph's teacher, and Ralph was my teacher. Yeah, 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 oh yeah, 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 for sure. Ralph, yeah. I mean Ralph is man, I another great player. Um, and coincidentally, <laughs> I just talked to Michael Carvin yesterday we were we, we he's in la now and we were on the phone chatting and he was we were talking about this particular thing we were talking about you know goal setting and and we were talking about achievement and all that kind of stuff and how you know because we were making plans and i said i said do me a favor i said i'm driving make sure you text it to me because i have to write everything down and if i don't write it down it doesn't happen and he said do you remember the the interview that we did do you remember what i said in that interview and i said i know i remember exactly what you said you said until man puts pen to paper he will never be successful and that is something that has always stuck out in my head and ever since and my wife used to get on me all the time or she was my girlfriend at the time but because i never wrote anything down and i would forget things all the time or didn't do what i was supposed to or whatever and him saying that in that interview and us having that conversation and now you just bringing it up again makes me think, okay, I better, I better tell everyone who's listening to write it down, period. Yeah. Write it down. Yeah. Get yourself a note. You don't have to buy some fancy schmancy, like crazy notebook or whatever, like go get yourself a legal pad at on Amazon for two bucks and just write it down on there, but write it down. Um, yeah. And the second, the second thing that I wanted to piggyback on that was that when you were saying about getting up early, there's something that I do a lot that I'm sure that most people do it subconsciously, whether you know whether they know it or not. That the uh, the things that I'm doing, I I sort of look at it reflectively and say, is the person I want to be, is that what this person would do? Or like if I'm thinking about 
trying to be like someone, right? Like if I was trying to be like you, Vlad, like when to get, you know, if I was trying to get my career to where it would be and I'm like, okay, I'm sleeping till 11, I'm not practicing, whatever. I, I compare myself to other people in that way. And I'd be like, is that, is that what Vlad did to get where he is? Or is that where this, what do I think that's what that person did to get to where they are? And if the answer is no, then I don't do it. And I change that, that habit. Well, you know, speaking of that, that brings me, uh, uh, there is this clip <clears throat> that some guys that might be, that might need motivation should watch. I, I posted one day, um, there's a clip of uh, what I call talking about his game-changing moment. It's on the Big First website. And he was and he was basically saying everything that happened. But what stood out to me was that he practiced his whole life. He was ready. When, when, when all these opportunities came along, he was ready. Man, what he used to do, and this is crazy, Wekel used to, when he was at the University of uh, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, in the summers, he used to uh, keep the keys of the percussion department because he was friends with the director. Mm -hmm. And he would go in the summers, instead of going back home, he would stay and practice up to 12 hours every single day. No wonder why the guy is a machine. <laughs> because in his development years, he put the time. And then I always joke with my friends that sometimes we go to see him live just just to find if he can play a mistake or something. <laughs> because it's so – it's just like – You're like, just you one mistake. Tell. Just play one. Yeah. It's, it's like you can tell this guy is study hard. You know, and and something I find often in questions on Instagram is how long it's going to take me. Yep. To get this down. How mm -hmm. long, how long, how long? And I talked to them about something I've learned from uh, both from uh, Herbie Hancock and, and, and Wayne Shorter. They talk a lot about this. This career, you get yourself into this, this path, it's a journey. And journey means like forever. So it's not a thing that I'm not saying that you don't set yourself goals. But if you see as if you see if you look at the big picture as a journey, you are not worried about how long it's gonna take you to get certain things down. You're just gonna write down like, okay, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that. Let me work on this. Let me work on that. Mm -hmm. And then you just work on it. And eventually, I'm telling you, if you're consistent about what you practice, it eventually comes out. Man, I studied with, with, with a guy at Berkeley when I was about to graduate. His name is Henrik de Almeida. And he's a crazy professor. And his methods are for people that really are serious. So, like, if you're not serious, please don't don't even take a lesson because it's not worth it. Right. But he gave me so much information for seven months. And then I was like, okay, I, ha I have enough. Now let me work on it and see what happens. And, you know, I just kept working, 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 working. And I'm telling you, probably in the past four, five months, I'm starting to see that incorporated naturally on my plane because that's one of the things I, I, you know, sometimes I do specific stuff like, oh, I want to get this thing down so I can put it on my plane. But most of the time I work like really conceptually. 
mm-hmm. and I let things naturally to come into my plane. Like I'm not the guy who necessarily sits to transcribe exactly whatever somebody's playing, although I, I want to do it at some point, but I just listen a lot. I listen, listen, listen in the car, listen, they're listening for the concept. Like I try to impersonate someone by just listening, not trying to play exactly like every every single note. But that's the thing. You get you stay serious at something and and you look at it as a journey. Not not like thinking, oh, um, how long until I get the big gig? Well, man, just if you're looking at it like that, it's probably yeah. not for you. Probably, yeah. I'm just probably, saying, it's probably not going to happen just, either. The the interesting yes. thing that you had mentioned too about the about practicing conceptually, right? Because at at some point you have to you have to make a shift in in your practicing and playing. If in my opinion, if you're really going to go to the next level, and you have to, you got to learn all of your, you got to learn all of the technical stuff, right? And maybe you don't become a master. Uh, player like maybe you can't play everything inside out upside down but you got to have some technical proficiency and then at some point you have to start practicing differently again in my opinion like yes I think the technical prowess is is important but the conceptual side of hearing things melodically working on orchestrations um, dynamics all of those other things I think that's what separates a good player from a great player something that you have uh, you have both the technical prowess and the musicality how did you work on the conceptual stuff or what advice do you have for people to work because the, the technical stuff is easy you can go get a book and you can like you not that it's easy to 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 learn um, but it's easy to find the information about and and we all know how to play paradiddles at 220 you just work on paradiddles until you can play them that fast but the conceptual stuff is something that i that i always think is a little bit gray area and a little bit less easy to to not only describe but to teach and all those things so what's your what's your take on that well you you touching something that probably was one of my favorite subjects to always talk about and is i and and you know you might notice this too i find a common ground on everybody that plays uh, melodically, whether, regardless the style, regardless the style, everybody who plays melodically has studied or has reference of traditional jazz. It's like, if, if you see guys like, I mean, I'm sure you, you've interviewed Nate Wood before, mm-hmm. and I think, you interview Mark Juliana, right? I think I, yeah, I, I heard. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, and those are some of the guys that I think they they taken to drum into to a completely different world, which is it's really inspiring. You know, it makes me think about that, like being melodic, and, and these other guys that came from the from the fusion of the eighties, like like Wack Calvini and those guys, but. The way I see is like all of them have some kind of tradition, some kind of jazz understanding. Some are, some of them are like really hundred percent jazz, or some of them just mix it up. So when I came to Berkeley, uh, there was one of the class I took with Ralph that is called uh, Jazz Repertoire Development, and in that class he taught us how to learn melodies from, you know, standard tunes and just put it on the set and orchestrate them 
around the set uh, with whatever rudiment or sticking works for you, but in a way that you make it clear that you're playing a melody that people can hear the melody because they know it, because they know the song, you know? Mm-hmm. So, for example, most of my uh, work, regardless I'm playing, if I'm playing jazz or fusion or experimental or whatever, I listen to a lot of jazz records all the time. And I sing melodies all the time. And the the reason that I think that a technical drummer is a little bit different from, from somebody that is a little bit more musical is what they pay attention to when they're listening to music. Because you can't be paying attention to what the drummer is doing. That's great. I'm not saying don't do it. I do it all the time. But you have to look at what's happening around the drummer because most of the time, if it's a professional drummer, they are reacting to the musical situation. No matter if it's pop, no matter if it's jazz, they're still supporting the music. And that's what makes somebody musical, I think. How much support you put to the music. And if your end goal is always the music. Because, for example, everything has a, a an upside and a downside. If you go on YouTube and, mm-hmm. and, and you got a couple of cats that are showing you certain leaks or you know uh patterns that's amazing and then they tell you okay this he, here's how you apply it musically so they you know they put a track and they play over and that's a musical application sometimes i disagree with that sometimes i don't depends on the situation because i feel like whatever drum part you're doing or whatever feel you should be able to listen to the music first and, and find ways to, uh, what's the word, to not match, but to complement, complement, complement mm-hmm. what's happening. I remember that uh, what being at Berkeley, I, do, you, do you know uh, saxophone player Joe Lovano? Have you heard about Joe? Mm, no. Check no. him out. Joe Lovano is a great saxophone player. Uh, he's based in New York. He's from Cleveland, and he, you know, Bill Stewart plays in most of his recordings. Okay. And uh, Joe, I remember when I was at Global, sometimes we were like improvising, and let's say he's playing something in the solo, and I respond with the same kind of figure he played on the saxophone, and then he stops, and he says like, no, 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 no. This is not responding. He was saying like, it's not about the, the game of the cat and the mouse, like some people yeah. call it, like where basically I repeat exactly what you did. Man, I used to do that all but, the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's not... Like, Stop the, stepping the, on my tail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What they, what they tell you is like, respond mm-hmm. to me. You know, it, it, try to have a, a, a conversation and hopefully, because I, I, I can't get myself caught into the technical side sometimes, but hopefully that's what I try to do when I'm playing for people and when I'm playing even for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, having I had a semester, my very last semester with uh, Dave DiCenso. Such a monster. And Dave, yeah, he's such a monster. And and believe it or not, we had 16 lessons. 14 of them were just talking. We didn't sit on the drums. Yeah. He was just telling me so much stuff that I needed to hear. You know, because the control of your instrument is in your mind. It's here. It's in your head. 
Yeah. And he used to talk a lot about that. And then one day we sit, like, in class number 15. <laughs> and I was like, man, come on. And then he told me something really important that day that I try to keep on my plane. He says, if you focus when you're improvising, if you focus on developing an idea and always sticking there, you will never think about the technical side. Because what happens is when you're not thinking ideas, you start thinking about rudiments and stickings and stuff, and then you get yourself lost and you are not saying anything in the solo because you're paying too much attention to, to oh, did I play this sticking well? Was this the correct accent? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. No, just think ideas. And he always talks about, you know, like, uh, like high pitch versus low pitch, you know, floor toms, bass drums, snares, toms, that kind of uh, orchestration. I definitely recommend everybody to get his book and work on it. I, I started myself working because he's crazy. Yeah. He's just out of this world. I'm telling you, out of this world. So that's the way I, you know, more or less work the musical side. And that's the way I'd like to see it. If I don't see it that way, I probably start thinking right away on my paradiddles that are not correct or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, let me tell you, paradiddles are great. I use them all the time. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of, uh, of teaching, I know that, that you teach as well. Do you teach, uh, online or just in person? Uh, I teach in all kinds of situations. Like right now we're, we're speaking, we're talking from, uh, the school where I teach. This is school. I, I used to be only a teacher here, and now me and my fiance we are like managing the school. It's awesome. in Peabody, Mass, like twenty miles from the city, and we have about uh, eighty students right now. So the school has. I teach different stuff. I teach drums. I teach uh, guitar, bass, and piano. Believe it or not, <laughs> I also teach that. And it's really helpful for um, everything I do in the music. Everything. Awesome. All kinds of level, all kinds of kids, all kinds of interests, which is really inspiring every day. It's really cool. I like it. So how can people follow you, get in touch with you, all that sort of stuff? What's the best place for them to find you online? Uh, I would say my Instagram, uh, Whitney Music. And, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook too. Uh, I am, you know, I'm saying this and I'm holding myself accountable for this. Uh, one of the goals of this year was to get a little bit more active on my YouTube channel, which is a little bit abandoned. (laughs) I'm going to try to, you know, I'm trying to put lessons from time to time. The thing is, Nick, there's a lot of stuff out there and I'm just trying to find my own way to express what I play. Mm-hmm. and hopefully answer some of the questions that people have about my playing through some certain lessons. But, uh, you know, that's, that takes time, That that's time-consuming, and I'm doing all kinds of stuff all the time, playing, teaching. And, well, maybe this is, I don't know if this is the correct time to pitch it, but my album is supposed to come out soon. So <laughs> When's it coming out? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to, if you're going to come on here, I want you to tell people where they can find some amazing music too. Uh, you know, I, uh, 
the album was supposed to to come out in September. So I had to stop the production because I was uh, still dealing. I'm just waiting on that. I've been dealing uh, with a new visa situation. And that took a lot of time for me to to be like really concentrated on that. And now I'm done with that. But uh, I would say that you should look at at least for a couple of singles before the end of the year. And I, I'm trying to release it next month. But if not, it's going to be out in January. Cool. And what I'll do is once it comes out, uh, we'll make sure that it's in the show notes. So like after January or whatever, like once the record comes out, we can link to it. Um, and other than that, man, I, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your success, but two, I appreciate the transparency. I appreciate the candor and all of the insights that you shared of not only the stuff that you were doing in, in Dominican Republic, but then coming to the States and starting over and, and staying positive through the whole thing, coming out on the other side of it successful and sharing your knowledge for how people can one, you know, get out of their own way a lot with their, with their playing, but also with their mindset, which I think is such an important aspect, maybe even the most important aspect of achieving anything is having the right mindset. And you, my man have the right mindset. So I appreciate you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Safe travels on the road. Keep inspiring. And I really, really do appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk, man. Really, really great oh, having man. you. The, the, the honor is mine. I One day, one day I'll, well, are you going to be a NAM? I will. I'll be at NAM. Yeah, we, we should, we should like uh, catch up there and talk. You, you won't imagine when, um, when you guys, when you texted me about doing the podcast, I told my fiance like you won't believe this because she listens to the podcast with me in the car. Nice. I was like, you won't believe who just wrote, and she was like, what? And I was like, yes. So we're really, and I'm really honored, you know, to be part of the podcast because I believe that what you are doing is really positive for the community. Because not only we learn insights from other drummers, but we discover a lot of drummers yeah. that people don't know about, and they're great. Like I've heard, you know, I've I've met some drummers because of you. Like whatever you post, you know, post on the podcast, I, I go like, oh, just let me check him out, right? You know, and then I find new talent. So, man, props to you. Well, thank you. Congrats to you, and and just keep doing it, man. I I will be listening all the time. Well, I will. Don't plan on stopping. So I appreciate it, Vlad. Be well. Uh, Again, thank you so much and congrats on all your success. All right, man. Take care. There you have it, the one and only Vlad Wigney. And you can find all the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 532. Also, if you know someone who you think would dig this podcast, do me a favor and share it with them. I get a lot of emails from people who are not just drummers, and there are other musicians who just want to get more information about about concepts and about life and all of the stuff that we talk about here in these episodes. And I think it's applicable, not just drummers, because you know we don't get into a lot of technical things with with the uh, with the conversations here. So. 
find someone who you think would enjoy it and do me a favor and share it with them and leave a rating, leave a review on iTunes. That's all I ask to keep this podcast growing. And I appreciate you until the next episode. Keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.